Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are all doing well. If you're wondering who I am, um, that I'm shorter than the normal guy who's here and less hair than the normal guy. My name is Paul. I am the campus pastor for Ignite Church Studyland, and uh, it's my joy to be with you this morning. Uh, Russ, our normal, uh, your normal uh, pastor, is in Studyland preaching for me, and I'm here uh, preaching for him this morning. And so before we get into the Word this morning, I just want to take a quick moment and uh, just pray for us and pray for the Word as we open it up. God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, I just thank you and praise you for just a sweet time of worship. Uh, just really walking uh, and stepping into your presence. And, and so, God, I just thank you for that. I, I thank you just for that sweet time. And, and now, Lord, as we open up your word, as we explore what it is you have to say to us, God, I pray that your presence would continue with us, that our hearts and our minds would be open to experience what you have for us. And, and God, I pray that each and every single one of us, me included, would leave here today different and changed and um, inspired and encouraged uh, to, to live life differently, live a life according to your will and purpose. And then, and then finally, God, I just pray that uh, every word that comes out of my mouth today would not be me, but it would be you speaking. And, and so, Lord, I just also pray that today I would decrease, uh, that people wouldn't see me, but they would see you. And, and so, Lord, we just want to honor you and glory and worship to your name. In the sweet, precious name of Jesus, we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Uh, so I was reading uh, a story on CNN uh, this week of what's happening in Cape Town, South Africa. Now, you may not have heard this. You may have not read the story. But recently, they have a day on their calendar that they call Zero Day. Zero Day was April 22nd. But just this week, they moved it up 10 days to April 12th. Now, you might be wondering, what the heck is Zero Day? Well, Zero Day is the day when this major South African city runs out of water. They will run out of water. It's a day when this huge metropolitan modern city will have no more water. So just in a few weeks, in a matter of months, there will be no more life-sustaining water for these people in the city to drink. Now, this crisis is happening for a couple different reasons. First, it starts with the fact that they are uh, dealing with the worst drought in more than a century. It, it, Southern Africa is dealing with this enormous drought and, and the water has just run out. In fact, their largest water reservoir, they have this huge dam, there's barely any water left in it even at this point. The water doesn't even, I saw a picture, the water doesn't even come up to the dam anymore. So they've run out of water, there's this huge uh, drought. But in addition, it's not the only reason why this is happening, in addition, that the population of Cape Town, South Africa is about four million people today and growing rapidly. The, the metro area is growing by as much as 5% a year. Uh, the population is expected to climb another 200,000 people by 2023. And, and so you have this perfect storm in, in Cape Town. There's this massive drought, which is not allowing more water reserves to come in. And on top of it, more people are consuming what water is left. And the problem is so bad that in just a few months, if nothing amazing, miraculous happens, the people will have no water. But here's what was really interesting about what I was reading on CNN this week. The city, because of this crisis, in the midst of it, has done a ton of work to educate the public. They've been, for a long time, communicating to the people about the need to conserve water, telling people to recycle water. So for example, if they're doing dishes, instead of letting the water go down the drain, take the water and water your plants with it, or, or flush the toilet with it, or something of that nature. And so they've been educating the public on, on how to conserve this, this thing that they desperately need. 
And so in the midst of it, people are scrounging for water. People are walking miles to, to local wells to get the water that they need. Uh, the, the city's been communicating with the people only take a 90-second shower every day, or, and only not every day, but shower every other day or once a week. And so they've been doing all this education, but he was even what was more amazing. In spite of zero day coming, in spite of all the education the people are getting, the water consumption per, per, per person has not really dropped all that much. People are consuming just about as much water today as they were before the drought hit. It's why Cape Town, South Africa had to move up their zero day by 10 days. Instead of it prolonging, they're actually getting closer and closer to the moment where they won't have life-sustaining water. Now, I share this story, and we kind of look at these kind of people, and we think, man, how, how foolish are you? How dumb are you really that you're using everything you have, and you have nothing for the future, and you're quickly running out of the very substance that you need for life? They're continuing on the exact same path like nothing matters. Zero day is approaching, and yet there's really no change in the people's behavior. Except the really sad thing is we're not all that different from they are. Now, we don't, we're not experiencing a famine right now. We're not going to run out of water tomorrow. That's, that's not our reality. But when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our money, don't we do the exact same thing? Don't we consume more than we can sustain in the long run? Where there's moments where we should be saving and conserving, when it comes to our money, each month don't we spend all of what we have, or not even some, some of us even spend more than what we have? Don't, don't spend, many of us do the exact same things that's happening in South Africa. We consume, we consume, we consume, and we don't even really look towards the future and what the future has in store for us. Now, this morning, we're continuing in a series here at Ignite Church that we've been calling Making Change, Finding Peace and Making Sense of Your Finances. And, and if, you, if this is your first time this morning, you've been gone for a while, uh, the reason we're doing this series is because when it comes to our money, really, it, it causes us a great deal of stress, doesn't it? When we think about our pocketbooks and what we have coming in and going out, don't we just often live in, in just a, a complete stress bubble all the time? It's just, it's never going the way we want it to go. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been talking about that if we would learn to manage our money in a way that is in accordance with God's will, if we would manage our money the way God wants us to manage it, things would get better. The stress uh, that money often brings would go down. We'd walk into joy and peace. And so this morning, that's, that's what we're going to continue talking about. Now, if you're just joining us, uh, Russ, the first two weeks of the series, the first week he talked about the importance from a biblical perspective of having provision, that is having a forward-looking plan of how you're going to handle your finances. Uh, we, there's a B word that often many of us don't like. My kids hate this word, uh, but it's the word budget. They hate the word budget. Are we on a budget? Yes, we're on a budget. It means you can't have that, that candy bar right now, right? People don't like budgets, but having a budget is huge. That's what Russ talked about in week one. And then last week he talked about the importance of first fruits and that one of the biblical principles of handing our money is giving the first, the top, the best of what we have back to God. And, and the crazy part about that is you can't outgive God. As you continue to give back to him, he continues to supply and bless. Now, that's not to say if you give back to God that he's going to make you hugely wealthy. But he will provide for all of our needs. And so that's what Russ talked about last week with First Fruits. This morning, I want to talk about a third principle of handling our finances. 
And it's the principle of saving. It's the principle of saving. It's, a, it's an actually huge biblical principle. The idea of as we're planning our finances, as we're handling our money, the principle of actually setting some aside and having a little bit of margin, having a little bit of space. But the sad reality is that so many of us in this room are living our lives without any margin. So many of us in this room are really living paycheck to paycheck. We have absolutely no reserves. We have nothing in the bank. And, and so when an emergency happens, maybe that car breaks down or someone gets sick. Maybe you lose a job and you get laid off. When those moments happen in our lives, all of a sudden we're in a world of hurt. And all of a sudden we're in a, a moment of panic because we don't know how we're going to make ends meet. For so many of us in this room, we've built our financial lives around spending everything we have, consuming everything we have, and then when, when crisis hits, we get stuck. But this principle of saving is one that's talked about all over the place in God's Word. I was thinking this week, actually, as I was thinking and prepping for this message, I was thinking about a story found back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, about a guy named Joseph. Now, some of you in this room, you might know who Joseph is. Maybe you've done all the, the Bible school kind of stuff. You've gone to all the Sunday school kind of things. You know who Joseph is. If you don't, Joseph is the guy they made the musical about, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay? That's who Joseph is. And his story is talked about in the book of Genesis in, in chapters really 37 through 50. And so I'm, I'm planning to be here for four hours. So we're going to go through all 37 through 50. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Let me just give you a summary of Joseph's story, and then we're going to focus in on uh, just one part of his story. You can go back to that last page a little bit. There you go. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about Joseph's story. So here's Joseph. Joseph um, was a guy uh, that really, uh, if you think about his story, really has two overarching themes to his entire story. The first is of Joseph, the, the, one of the major themes is we see Joseph as a man who's been given this amazing gift from God. He has this amazing gift from God. The gift that God has given to him is he has the ability to hear God in his dreams. God will often come to Joseph and speak to Joseph through his dreams. And, and the other part of this gift that, that Joseph has is that not only does God speak to Joseph through his dreams, but Joseph is also able to interpret dreams. As other people share dreams, he's able to go, hey, this is what God's saying in the midst of that dream. This is the gift that God has given to Joseph. But while Joseph is gifted, one area that he's not that gifted in is in the area of politics. Because Joseph, early on in, in the beginning chapters of Genesis, when we hear his story, one of the dreams that Joseph has is that one day his brothers, and there's lots of them, are going to bow down and worship him. Not worship him, but like honor him. That he's going to rule over his brothers. He hears this dream. And so Joseph is not very good at politics, though. Because Joseph gets it in his bright idea. He's going to go to his brothers and tell them the dream. So he goes to his brothers and says, hey, I had this dream. God told me that one day you're going to all bow down to me and I'm going to rule over you. Now, the brothers, they don't like this very much. I wouldn't like that story very much either, right? And so the brothers get upset and so they sell him into slavery. And Joseph ends up in Egypt working for this guy named Potiphar as a servant. And this opens up the second theme of Joseph's life. He's a man amazingly gifted by God, but he's also a man who goes through enormous trial and tribulation. He goes through enormous difficulty in his life. He's serving uh, as Potiphar's servant, and Potiphar's wife uh, one day comes on to him and says, Hey, I, I like you. We should, 
you know, do something together. And Joseph, being the upstanding guy, says, no way, I don't want anything to do with you. Well, she gets mad. So she goes to her husband and says, hey, this guy, Joseph, he tried to rape me. And so then, of course, Joseph ends up in prison. And he's in prison for a long time. One of the things that happens while he's in prison is that there's these uh, two servants of Pharaoh who end up in prison with him, the cupbearer and the baker. And, and there's some dreams that these people are having as well. And so they come to Joseph and they say, hey, Joseph, would you tell us about our dreams? And so Joseph does. And the result uh, of that interpretation comes to fruition. It comes true. The baker is put to death and the cupbearer is released. And, and so this becomes Joseph's story. But then the amazing thing is Joseph says, hey, when you get released to the cupbearer, would you remember me? I'm, I'm stuck here in prison. Would you remember me? Would you let me get out of here? But again, that theme of things not going Joseph's way comes to the forefront. And Joseph is forgotten about. He's left to rot in this prison. And then we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41. In Genesis chapter 41, we, we hear about a part of this story that is amazing. Because one of the things about Joseph's story in those overarching themes is that God had a plan for Joseph's life. He had an amazing supernatural plan. And the plan that God had for Joseph's life was a saving plan. It was a saving plan. That was, that was why he had this amazing gift. It was also why he went through all the trouble he went through. It was for an amazing plan that God had, and it was a saving plan. We're going to read about that saving plan in Genesis 41. Uh, it's, uh, the story is in verses 1 through 57. I'm not going to read all of it because uh, it's a lot of text. But I, I want to give you the highlights of the story, and you're going to see how God uses Joseph to accomplish this amazing saving plan. So I just want to pick up the story in, in Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 1. It says, When two years, full years had passed, that's two years being in prison, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, gaunt means thin, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt, uh, thin, ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. And then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Now in this moment, one of the servants remembers that he met a guy in prison who was able to interpret dreams. And so the cupbearer goes, oh yeah, there's this guy, Joseph. I remember this dude. Let me go get him. And so the cupbearer goes, and they, they go get Joseph out of prison. They clean him up a little bit, and they bring him before Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh sits down and, and tells Joseph his dreams. And then we're going to pick up the story in verse 25. After Pharaoh has shared the <coughs> dreams with Joseph, it says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Now let's move ahead to verse 29. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. 
The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And, and so this is, this is the message that, that Joseph gives to Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh takes this message from Joseph and he listens to it. And, but instead of going out and finding a wise counselor that's going to lead this in the land, he, he looks at Joseph and he says, Hey, Joseph, you're pretty smart, dude. I like you. I'm going to appoint you second in command of all of Egypt. You're the man who's going to lead this effort. You're the one who's going to, who's going to save the people. You're going to, in these years of abundance, you're going, to, you're going to save up all of this stuff so that we have enough for the years of famine. It was a, it was a saving plan. It was a saving plan. If you forward on to the story in verse 48, it reads, Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Moving into verse 53, it says, The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. And then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. So here's what we see and experience in this story. God, through Pharaoh, through Joseph, has sent a message that a famine is coming. There's going to be a time where they have nothing. And what he's saying is, what I want you to do in the midst of that is I want you to save. Don't consume everything you have. Don't spend it all. In these years of abundance, learn to save. Store up for the times that are not. This is not the only place in God's word where we see something like this, where we hear something like this, where we're taught something like this. In the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, in chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The, the book of Proverbs, this particular proverb, it's talking really about uh, a person who's lazy, a, a person who will not work. And, and the writer of this proverb is saying to that person, hey, listen, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Model the ant. Do what the ant does. And what does the ant do? The ant has an amazing work ethic. And what the ant does is in the years of provision, in the summer where there's food, where there's stuff, they they gather, they harvest, and they store it up for the winter. And this is considered wise. This is considered smart to do. In in years of abundance, when we have stuff, we save up for the years that we don't have anything. See, here's the reality, guys. In this world, there's cycles, there's ups and downs. There's going to be years in each of our lives where where things are going okay financially for us. And then there's going to be years where things aren't as financially good. There's going to be things that are going to happen. Jesus promised in the Gospels that in this world, you will have trouble. 
You will have trouble. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to get sick. Your car is going to break down. You're going to have a home repair. Things are going to happen. And, and the reason that happens is because we live in a fallen and a broken world. We live in a fallen and broken world. Trouble is going to come. It's going to come. It's just a matter of time. Now, we might not know, like Joseph knew, that the famine is going to come seven years from now. But we know that things bad are going to happen from time to time, don't we? Don't we? And the wise thing, the smart thing to do is in those years that we are doing a little bit okay is to save up to have some extra for the years that are not going as well. And so what this principle is really getting at for us is this idea of, of stewardship. It's learning to be wise with what God has gifted us with. right? It's this idea of learning to be wise in that, and every single month that we, we set aside just a little bit, just a little bit to put aside for a rainy day for, to handle those things when things get hard. Russ talked a little bit about this in week one in that provision message. Talked about the importance of, of budgeting with some margin. And, and in that budgeting message, he talked about that we, we tell every dollar where to go, right? You have a plan for every single dollar. But one of the places that you have to plan for the every dollar to go is into your savings account. Part of the place where you have to tell their dollars to go is into savings. And that's wisdom. That's good stewardship of what God has given to you. And, and so listen, all of us need to do this thing. We need to be in a, a saving kind of plan. So we can plan out for the years of a famine. Now, as we're talking about this idea of saving, though, I, I do want to give a little bit of a word of caution. I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm being true to what God's word says about this idea of saving. See, the goal for us as followers of Jesus is never to be that we will be hugely wealthy one day. That's, that's never, I think, the goal to be as followers of Jesus Christ, that we're going to just like live in a huge mansion and have a million servants and drive a million different cars. I, I don't think that's what God is calling for us as followers of Christ. See, all of the resources that we have really are our responsibility to manage, to steward is the, is the word that the Bible uses, in accordance with God's will. And the Bible is clear that, that we are not owners of what we have. We are managers of what God has given to us. And so the number one goal is not just, just, not just what we give back to God, but with all of our money, we should be spending all of it in accordance with God's will. And as I look at God's word, I don't think the goal of our savings should be that one day I'm going to retire with millions and millions of dollars in the bank so that I can go live on a beach and go and die and drink my ties. I don't think that's what it's meant to be as followers of Jesus. Now, I think it's important that we save for retirement, Right? I think it's important. One day we're not going to be able to work. But as followers of Jesus, I also don't think that, for, this is my conviction, I don't think I'll ever retire. I, I feel like I'm going to pour it all out for Christ to the day that I die. Now, there will be some day where I'm hoping and praying that I'm going to get to do ministry and I don't have to take a paycheck for it. Right? That I've saved enough for retirement that I can, can continue to work and give back to God but I don't have to take a, a salary to make that happen, right? That's not happening today, but someday, that's my hope and that's my prayer. But my dream is not to like get enough money in the bank so that one day I can just retire and do nothing for the rest of my life. I, I don't think that's in accordance with God's will. And so as we're talking about savings, it's not the idea that you're saving up so you can have a boatload of money. See, I'm reminded also of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter six. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. I'm reminded of James chapter 5, which says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, in reading those two passages and what we're talking about with Joseph saving and Proverbs and saving, on face value, they kind of look like they're contradicting themselves, don't they? On one hand, in the Old Testament, you've got this principle of saving, but then here it's kind of talking about, well, kind of don't save. So which is it? Is the, is the Bible contradicting itself? No. The reality, though, is it, it's speaking into the extremes. It's speaking into the extremes. See, on one extreme, you have, you have this. On this side of the fence, I think it's this side. Can you put that next slide up? There you go. Uh, on this side of the fence, right, we have this, this idea. When we think about saving our resources, we have people that save absolutely nothing. They live everything for today. There's nothing in reserves. They, they're consuming everything they have every single day. That's on this side of the, the fence. This is kind of what Proverbs is talking against. This is what Joseph is talking against. But on the other side of the fence, you have people over here that are, are hoarding everything that they have. They're trying to get in as much as they can. They're trying to make their bank account as huge as they can. And what the Bible is speaking about is that either of these extremes are not godly. Either of these extremes are not good. We kind of have to aim for the middle on this. See, both of these extremes actually have the exact same heart issue. If you're spending everything you have every day, every month, or you're hoarding everything you have, it's the exact same heart issue. And the heart issue is that you love your stuff more than you love God. If you're spending everything you have, you're trusting in your stuff. And if you're hoarding everything you have, you're trusting in your stuff. It's just the way you play it out, right? See, if you're you're trusting in your stuff on this side... Your stuff is giving you happiness and joy today. Your joy, your peace, your comfort is all in about what you can consume today. And so you're just living today because you're putting your hope and your trust in stuff. On this side, those that are hoarding are doing the exact same thing. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I'm worried about tomorrow. I don't trust God to provide for me. So I'm going to make sure I get as much as I can for that rainy day kind of thing. And what the Bible is speaking about in both of those cases is the same heart issue. The Bible's going after, hey, listen, don't trust in your stuff. Trust in me. Don't trust in your stuff. Trust in me. That's what it's going after. And, and so that's, that's kind of what the, those aren't contradictory ideas. It's getting at the extremes. Now, truth be told, for us in this room today, my guess, I'm just guessing. I could be wrong. But my guess is probably about 99.9% of us are over on this side of the fence. We're spending most of what we have. I don't think there's many multimillionaires in the room this morning. I didn't see any Lamborghinis out in the parking lot. So I don't think that's our story. In fact, most of us are probably sitting over here, and we're looking at the people over there and going, man, those people are so greedy. They're so about themselves. I can't believe they have all that money. And we're looking down at them. But the reality is we have the same heart issue that they do. It's just, it's just how we're playing it out. We're still all, all of us are just chasing after our stuff. And so I want to talk for a little bit about this side of the room. Maybe there's a couple of you over on that side of the room. We'll talk one-on-one later. If you want to come up to me and tell me you got a million dollars, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
But today, I, I want to talk to this side of the room. Those of us that are, that are living more paycheck than paycheck, who have nothing in reserve. And, and I want to just give some, some pointers, some ideas on, on how we can actually save a little bit more so that we, we can be prepared for the days of, of famine. We can be prepared for the days that are hard. Okay? So that's what I want to uh, talk about for our remaining time this morning. And I got four steps, four things that we can do on this. Now, as I get into this, let me just say one thing, a moment of confession. My family, we're not great at this. In fact, we kind of stink at this. My family growing up were not savers. My, my parents stunk at money. And so this was not a principle. This was not something that was ingrained in me from a young age. We're learning in this. So my family, we, we have, we've saved a little bit. We have a little bit of an emergency fund for a rainy day. Uh, we save up uh, every month for things like paying our income taxes. Uh, we save up for like vacations and Christmas and things of that nature. But we're not great at this. I'm not sitting on a big boatload of money or anything like that. So as I'm sharing this, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Okay? I'm not communicating as I'm an expert in this. I'm just communicating what I think the Word of God says. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. So a couple four, four things that we can do. First step in saving is this. you got to know the goal. you got to know the goal. Here's the first step in saving. This is kind of like the old God thing, but what are you trying to accomplish? See, in, in the story of Joseph, there's a goal. And it's a very, fairly clear goal. There's a famine coming. And so they're saving up to have food in the years of famine. In fact, I, I didn't read this passage, but there's a verse in there where it says they, they saved up a fifth of all the produce. They actually saved 20% of all that they had in the years of abundance to, to handle the years of famine. And so listen, for you in your saving, what is the goal? What are you saving up to? What are you? How much are you trying to save? And, and so it also not just how much, but what are you saving for? Are you saving for that car repair? Because you know it's going to break down. I'm not saying you're saving up because the car's broken down, you can't get anywhere. I'm saying you know the car's going to break down. Are you saving up for that? I'm, I'm talking about are you saving for a down payment on a house? Are you saving for retirement? Are you saving for that vacation? Are you saving for new furniture? Are you saving for a new car? Dave Ramsey, who does a lot of financial stuff, talks about having a savings of three to six months of expenses in case uh, something happens, right? So that you get laid off or someone gets sick, you've got three to six months of, of savings there as a cushion. So the first step, though, is just knowing the goal. What are you trying to accomplish? And, and honestly, this takes a little bit of that provision that Russ talked about in week one. You have to be able to look down the line a little bit. Joseph looked... 14 years in the future. God had given a message. He had seen seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. What future are you aiming for? What are you trying to accomplish? Let me, let me get really practical for a moment. Most of you in this room have a car. Not all of you, but, but most of you. Cars break down, right? They do. I have a, I have a Toyota Echo that's 2001. It has 200,000 miles. It breaks down every month. Okay? That's just the normal part of the, the equation. It's not going to last forever, right? Cars break down, they get rusty, they fall apart. What if you and I would project down the line and say, you know what, I think my car will last 10 years. If I'm good on maintenance, if I, if I put a good, you know, change the oil on a regular basis, I do a good job, I think it will last 10 years. Why not plan and make a car payment to yourself so that when you're ready to replace the car, the money is there? Instead of going to the dealership and paying a huge high interest rate to get a new car, why don't you actually make a car payment 
to yourself. Then you go into the dealership and you pay cash. And you actually know what? When you pay cash for a car, you actually get it less than when you finance it. I'm not talking about because of the payments and interest rate. I'm talking about if you give cash, then typically will give you a better deal on the car than if you're trying to finance it. Instead of buying a new couch and putting it on credit, why don't you say, hey, you know our couch is getting a little ratty. Maybe we should save up for it for a year so that you can go and buy cash. When looking at retirement, why not have a plan on how much you need to have each month when you retire to live on? These are just very simple, practical things. Know the goal. What are you trying to accomplish? Second, second thing that I think is really important, this one's actually huge. I think one of the things that keeps us often from saving is that one of the things we do is we, we compare all the time. And, and so one of the steps to, to saving is you gotta stop comparing. See, see, too often in our lives we're so busy comparing ourselves to everyone else. And because we're comparing to everyone else, we think we just can't save up the work. And this is gonna make sense when I get to the next one, but truthfully, some of you in this room right now are looking at your finances and you're going, you know what, Paul, we're not, we're not living in this season of abundance right now. We're, we're experiencing famine. Like, we're underwater. It's terrible. The drought has come, right? There, there's no crops. But, but here's the thing about this comparison. If you live in this country, you are one of the wealthiest person people in this planet. You have access to more resources than anyone else. If you have access to transportation, it puts you in like the top 10% of, of wage earners in the world. But the problem is we're not comparing ourselves to the rest of the world, we're comparing ourselves to our neighbors. We're comparing ourselves to people we see on Facebook. We're comparing ourselves to whatever people have. And when we see that, we're like, well, I'm, I don't have anything. But listen, if you have food to eat, you have something to say. If you have access to transportation, you have something to say. If you have a home, if you have a roof over your head, you have something to say. It's all about the priorities. It's all about not comparing yourselves. See, what ends up happening is we compare ourselves, and then we don't get content in what we have, do we? Instead of seeing every gift that we have every resource as a gift from God, we compare ourselves to others and we think, I don't have anything. I'm reminded of one of the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. Chapter 20, verse 17, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why does God command us not to covet? Why is this even in the Ten Commandments? It's in there because God knows that when we start wanting other things, when we start comparing ourselves to others, what ends up happening is it robs us of our joy. It helps us to take our eyes off of God and the good gifts that he gives us. Instead, we're, we start looking and say, God, you haven't given me anything. God, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're letting me down. But God puts this command in there and says, because he knows that if you would take your eyes off your neighbor's stuff, it will fill you with more content. It will fill you with more joy. It'll actually help you to live. And the crazy part is if we start doing that, actually we'll have more margin, we'll have more savings, we'll actually have more in the end. But the problem is we're comparing ourselves to so many people around us. Let me use an example. In our culture around us, it's very easy for us to look at things like uh, seeing people sitting, having a, a smartphone. And all of a sudden what ends up happening in our culture is we see a smartphone and we, we think, well, that's not a luxury, I need to have a smartphone. In order to survive today, I, I need to have a smartphone. You don't. You don't. I, I sometimes think I do, but I don't need a smartphone to survive. We got a guy in Sunnyland, he's got a flip phone. He's great with it. He doesn't need a smartphone. He's fine with a flip phone. 
But this is what we do. Or, or, or we think about, you know, we see someone with those brand new pair of Nikes. Instead of thinking that we uh, want those things, it's a luxury, we start saying, well, I really, I really need those Nikes so I can fit in. Or we might be looking at our house and say, you well, I don't really want just a granite countertop. I need a granite countertop because that's going to help my resale value and that's going to make more equity in my home. I really need the granite countertop. Or it might be, um, I saw my friends want an expensive vacation to Florida and I saw that on Facebook and I, I don't just want that. I need that vacation. We're really going to vacation well. We, we really got to go to Florida and spend a boatload of money. See, comparison will always keep you wanting more. And folks, we, we buy into this hook, line, and sinker all the time. <coughs> Super Bowl is next week, Sunday. And most of us probably are not going to watch the game because we couldn't care less about the teams that are playing. Um, but, uh, but we'll watch anyway for the advertisements, don't we? We'll watch because it's kind of a spectacle. It feels amazing to me when I think about Facebook, when I think about Super Bowl advertising. I always wonder how can businesses spend millions and millions of dollars on a 15-second or a 13-second ad, 30-second ad? How, how is that possible? The reason that's possible is because when they show that ad, they know we're going to buy into that. We're going to see. We're going to fall into the comparison trap. We're going to see things on the TV screen. We're like, oh man, that's going to make my life better. I need that. And so businesses can afford to spend millions of dollars on advertising to you because they know the trick. We fall into comparison all the time, and comparison really keeps us from doing the next thing. The next important thing in savings is this. This is just what saving is. It's consuming less. See, comparison will keep you from will keep you consuming more rather than consuming less. And this is what happened in Joseph's story. They just consumed less. They learned to live on less. Verse forty-nine, right? And, and, and actually, I really love this part of this verse. I said saving is not about making you rich, but I love this. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Their ability to consume less led to that. They had more grain than they could count. They had more grain than they even know what to do with because they just learned to live on less. The Egyptians were seriously frugal. They, they couldn't consume so little they couldn't even measure it anymore. And this is the opposite, though, of what we do in our lives. It's the opposite of what they're doing in Cape Town right now. Instead of consuming less, we're consuming exactly the same. Here's the crazy part about that. That series, this series is called Making Change. <coughs> right? We're talking about making change because God needs to make a change in our finances. There's a reason why they said doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results, is called insanity. And when it comes to this idea of saving and spending, we're insane sometimes. We do the exact same thing, expecting different results, and it's not going to and so one of the things we have to learn is learn to consume less. It reminds me of something in my own life. Uh, like I said, we don't do this great, but there's one area where we actually do fairly well. I bought two homes in my life, one up in Wisconsin uh, when I was a pastor up there. We still own it. We weren't able to sell it. We rent it out now. Uh, I didn't want to be a landlord, but I am. Uh, and uh, we also recently, two years ago, bought a house in Washington just to kind of plant roots. And in both occasions, we went to the bank ahead of time. We got pre-approved for a mortgage, and both times the bank approved us for a higher mortgage than we thought we could afford. Both times. And so the first time we bought a house, we bought a house less than what we, what the bank said we could afford, we bought what we thought we could afford. When we did it in Washington, we got approved for an amount, we went looking at houses. We found one house that we absolutely adored. 
loved it. It was huge. It had a bedroom for every kid, had a huge dining room, had a family room downstairs. I looked at the house, I said, this is a perfect house for a pastor. I can host church events here all the time. We can host growth groups here all the time. It's, we're going to have people over dining after, after church on Sunday. It's amazing. They're asking more, though, than what we could afford. But it was within what the bank had approved for us. So we went and made an offer on the house, less than what they were asking. They came back and they counter-offered, and we said no. Now, the bank said we could afford that. We said no way. We walked away. We ended up buying a different house, much more in our price range. It doesn't have a huge dining room. Family room is not ideal for growth groups. The living room isn't really big enough for growth groups, but it's what we could afford. If we had bought that other house, we would have been so strapped financially, we wouldn't have any margin to save anything. Because we learned to say no and consume less, there's, there's margin for us to save for other things. And so this is one of the things we have to do. We have to stop comparing and consuming less. And then we get to the last thing. The last thing when it comes to saving is this. As I mentioned, the goal of saving is not to pad your bank accounts. We want to plan for our needs. We want to be wise. We want to be smart. But there's a greater thing that God wants us to do with our saving. And that's the plus one. It's a plus one. One of the things I love about Joseph's story was that at the end, the saving was not for him. He wasn't saving for himself. He wasn't saving for his own pockets. The saving was being done for the saving of other people. I love how chapter 41 ends. It says in verse 57, And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. See, the saving actually just wasn't for him. The saving was not for Joseph. It wasn't even just for Egypt. The saving was for all of the world. They had saved up so much. They had such an abundance that they were able to allow others to eat and survive. You know, I started off talking about the two themes of Joseph. Joseph was a man with a great gift. He was also a man of great suffering. It was all for a point. There was all a purpose. There was a reason for all of it. You know, I told you about the dream Joseph had where his brothers, with his brothers, about them bowing down to him. Well, if you read chapter 50, at the end of Joseph's story, there's a verse that basically summarizes all of Joseph's story. In, in chapter 50, verse 20, it says uh, this. He's, Joseph's brothers are actually sitting before him. They're sitting before him, and they're freaking out because they think that Joseph is going to have vengeance on them because of what they did in selling them into slavery. But Joseph looks at them and says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many Joseph was able to look back at all of his life, see the amazing gifts that God had given to him, and also see the hardships that God had given him, and see that all of it was for God's good, for the saving of many lives. God had planned it from the beginning, that this is what was going to happen. This was the real reason behind it. It wasn't so that Joseph could live high and mighty. It wasn't so that he could retire on a beach someday. It wasn't to have a huge house or fancy cars. See, here's the thing. You've been gifted greatly by God as well. Maybe you can't interpret dreams, but God has lined your pockets with resource upon resource upon resource. It's God's gift to you. 
And every gift that God has given to you is given for God's purposes to be accomplished. The saving of many lives. And here's what I know. When we save, when we know the goal, when we stop comparing ourselves to others, when we learn to consume less, in the end, what we're able to ultimately do is bless more. We're able to bless more. See, last week, Russ talked about the first fruits, right? The first 10% giving back to God. Here's the reality. 100% of what we have is meant to be used for God's purposes. I would love to get a point in my life where I'm not just giving 10% back to God. I'm giving 80% back to God and using all of those resources to bless more. And when we learn to save what we have and live on less, we're able to do amazing, miraculous things and bless more. Let me share one really quick thing and then I'm running quickly out of time. A couple of weeks ago, I'm talking about what I'm talking about. I had to take my oldest son, Joshua, to the dentist. As we're sitting in the dentist's office waiting for him to go back, there was a, a woman who came into the waiting room. And you know, sometimes you're at the doctor's office and you're trying not to eavesdrop, but you end up eavesdropping anyway, right? So this is what was happening. This, this woman came in with her young daughter. She might have been under the age of 87. And she came in, she checked into the dentist's office, went back to her chair. A few minutes later, this receptionist came forward and called her up. The receptionist started talking to her. Apparently something had happened with her insurance. And her insurance wasn't good anymore. So the receptionist looked at this woman and said, I'm sorry, we, we can't help your daughter unless you're willing to pay. It's like something like $200 today for the procedure. And the look on this woman's face was, it just broke my heart because I, I knew the answer. She's like, I thinking about her daughter and how her daughter needs this dental procedure and she can't provide it. And in that moment, my heart just broke. And what I wanted to do was just kind of go up and say, here, here's a check. Let me write it out for you and just take care of it. But I knew the condition of my own flocks. And I knew that we personally couldn't afford to do that at that moment. And so I couldn't help her. Now, in that moment, um, the financial manager for the dentist's office came in and got her. They went back in the back. I never saw them again. I don't know how they got Maybe they made a payment plan. Maybe they took care of it. But all I know in that moment is I felt like there was a moment where I felt like maybe God wanted me to do something and bless something, but I, I, was, I couldn't do it because I didn't have enough margin. I didn't have enough savings to make that happen. I want to live a life, folks, where I have enough margin when I see moments and opportunities like that. I don't have to doubt what's in my pocketbook to be able to respond to what God might want. This is the ultimate goal for why we say So that God can free us up to be radically generous and bless those who need So tonight, church, here's my encouragement. Let's make some changes. Let's make some changes in our finances so that one day we can look back and we can see all the ways in which we can walk in, yes, financial peace, Enjoy, but in the midst of it, we can also be an amazing blessing to people around us. Folks, God wants us to save. He wants us to get a hold of what's happening in our finances. So my encouragement, my challenge is, would you do that this week? Go back to that provision kind of thing from week one. Would you look at your budget again? Where are ways that you can save? Where are ways that you can consume less so you can save more? So that you can bless more? Lord God, we thank you for this morning and this message talking about a saving and uh, 
but we know that uh, ultimately the goal is not to save so that we can be hugely wealthy and live in huge mansions and, and just live high and mighty and retire one day on a beach and not have any worries or cares in the world. God, we know that you want us to save one because you call it to call us to save so that we're not living in franticness anymore, that we're not living in financial stress, that we have a little bit of enough just to handle the, the troubles and the difficulties that come day by day. At the same time, God, we know that you ultimately want us to save so ultimately we can build more margin in our lives so that we can be more of a blessing to others. God, I want to pray for those right now in our room that are struggling, that, that feel like they're living in a, in a life of famine right now, that feel like they just don't have enough. God, I pray that you would help them to see all the amazing good gifts that you've given to them, all the amazing things that you've given to them, and that, and that they are able to save and save for tomorrow. And God, for those of us that are walking in more abundance, God, I pray that you would help us to save more so that we can be radically generous to others. So God, I just pray that you would move, that you would challenge, that we would all leave here with taking steps to change this part by the power of your spirit. God, we need your help to do it. We can't do it on our own. We need you to convict. We need you to equip. We need you to challenge. We need you to encourage. We need you to motivate us to live life like this. God, we thank you for the story of Joseph save all we can. In the sweet, precious name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.